finds Rose. Rose trying to get open, fires away. Bang! It's over! The Bulls win at the buzzer! Inside the 30, Hester's going to take it all the way for a touchdown. Here's the 01. This is going to be a tough play. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Goal to Goat podcast. It has been a minute, and by a minute, I mean quite a minute. We took a little bit of a hiatus. Um, got we all kind of got got a little busy, so took a brief hiatus for for a couple months there. Uh, missed a lot of the the, the Cubs season. Um, you know, we missed some of the the intro to the Bears. We'll get into all of that. Um, tonight you got me and Jordan with you, um, and we're hoping, um, you know, you may, may hear some different voices, but we're hoping to record, uh, every week and we should get those podcasts out every Tuesday evening. Um, you know, hopefully we can be a lot more consistent posting, um, and, and getting those, getting those out there. Um, if anything changes, you know, obviously we'll, we'll try and let you know, but for now we're back. We are back, and we got a lot to discuss today. Um, we got some exciting new new content to talk about. Kind of got a new format for the the show tonight. Um, we're gonna start with the new uh, new segment. We're gonna call "Rebuild a Bear," and uh, we're just gonna talk about the bears. Get into some of the some of the nitty gritty that comes along with being a a Bears fan and the depressing nature of, of all of that. Then we're going to get into uh, bear down. Um, just talk about some of the individual players, um, some of that. Then we'll talk about the Cubs and we'll get into um, what should be the playoff push, but unfortunately tonight it's going to be the playoff pulse. Um, and we'll talk about, about all the Cubs and then we'll go good goat, bad goat and scapegoat and that's just our general term for sports um, that you know we're going to give kind of our our good story our bad story and our our person that we feel like is maybe catching some flack they don't really really deserve and then we're going to get get into eye on the ball which is some things this week that we're we're looking forward to um, in sports with that being said Jordan how you doing tonight I'm doing good brother I'm doing really well so getting over a a sickness, but I am, I am doing well. Other than the sports world, um, they, things in life are going really well. So I'm excited, man, that we are back. Like you said, got a little busy there and uh, got to reevaluate uh, some stuff and how we want to do this. I'm really excited about our, our new way forward and um, I'm excited to get into it, man. I'm excited to talk about our teams and uh, just I'm excited to hear your opinions, and I know since the last time uh, we recorded, I know I have some very different opinions uh, going back and listening to some of the stuff that we said and that I, I felt strongly about. I can honestly tell you that there's quite a bit that has changed in my viewpoint. Um, yeah. I, felt, I felt like I was, I mean, I felt honest in the moment um, and really thought some of those things, and I was right about quite a bit, and I was wrong about quite a bit, and I, pro- I guess that's probably everybody. Uh, that does a sports broadcast, but 
Um, if you've listened to our other shows before, I know it's probably a long shot since it's been such a while ago. Um, you're probably going to hear some different opinions from me tonight as to how I feel about some of the players on this Bears team and how I feel about the Cubs. And um, I was really looking forward to going ham and talking about how much I was right about the Cubs. And then they decide to stink the last two weeks and um, they're letting me down right now. So I'm excited, man. Let's let's talk about build a bear, rebuild a bears. Uh, let's it do looks, it. It looks like we're going to be stuck in yet another lengthy rebuild. Yet another season where the bears are kind of stuck in that no man's land of, you know, do you tank? Do you, you know, do you commit? Do you go all in for this, this team? Do you try and make some trades maybe as the season goes on or do you, do you sell it? You know, it, it feels like they're always in this position, maybe not always this early. Um, sometimes the answer is a little more obvious this early. Um, yeah. Sometimes, you know, it's even more confusing than, than we're at right now. But right now, it, it's really tough. You know, we'll, we'll start with week one. To, to host the Packers week one and lose 38 to 20. I mean, to give up, you know, I, I, I know Jordan Love is unproven and, you know, we don't know if he's, you know, actually going to be a legit quarterback or not. He may very well be a very good quarterback, but you don't know. But that is not a team that you should lose 38 to 22. That's not a team that you should give up that many points to. Absolutely. I, I agree 100% with that. I think Jordan Love did play really well um, in that game. You could, I mean, I've heard some say that he just hit open guys and that they use that as a defense. And it's like, well, um, we saw a quarterback on Sunday that didn't hit open guys. And the result of that, I think that is your main job as a quarterback is to throw the ball to open wide receivers. Um, there are those quarterbacks that can throw their wide receivers open, the great ones. Um, and guys that can fit the ball in the tight windows that other players just can't. But the majority of good quarterbacks in the NFL just hit the guy that's open. And Jordan Love did that in that first week against the Packers. It wasn't so much that the Bears lost that first week. It was the fact that you go into halftime and that is a close game and you come out and completely lay an egg in the second half. There was zero adjustments um, on the Bears' side. Um, in fact, it looked like it got worse. The Packers literally said we need to get the ball to Aaron Jones. They got the ball to Aaron Jones and Aaron Jones single-handedly took over that game and put it out of reach. The secondary looked horrendous. Eddie Jackson looks like he does not want to play football. Um, and it was embarrassing. Like they put the bear in embarrassing. Like it was Maybe that's what we should have called this this segment. Embarrassing. Dude. It was embarrassing. It was unbearable. It makes me think of all like when the, bull, <laughs> when the bulls were rolling in the nineties, all the unstoppables and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Unbelievable. Man, right. But it, it, it was dude, it was unbearable and like made me feel sick to my stomach, you know? And then you hoped going into week two that there would be some adjustments and I, I think the O-line played better t this last week. I do think that the O-line did play better against the Bucks than they did against the Packers. Granted, the Packers, the Packers' defense played incredible. Um, I think their defense is very underrated. Um, I thought the O-line played better, but the stats aren't going to say that because 
JF1 hung onto the ball way too long um, several times, you know, so it's going to say that they, I think the the final number was like seven sacks or something like that. Um, six. Six. But I don't, I honestly don't know how many of those were just on the offensive line. Right. You know, some so, of those, Justin just hung onto the ball too long. Yeah. So I read an interesting article today and I, I don't know exactly like how they, they come to all of these numbers. But of the passes that Justin Fields has thrown, the expected completion rate is about 78%, meaning the, the receiver should catch it, right? No, I mean, there's a bunch of factors that go into it. The actual completion rate on those passes is 66%, which is a pretty big drop-off. I mean, those are passes that are like pretty for sure, right? So immediately yeah. your thought is, oh man, the wide receivers are dropping a ton of passes out of all of those passes in that, in that statistic, the, the wide receivers have only dropped one pass. Yeah. So basically, you know, that's just saying Justin Fields is either missing the target or it's not a good throw. You know, I don't know exactly all that goes into it, but I think it's just a, a reflection on who he is. The other thing I'll say about the bears defense, you know, this was a, a team that the last two years has kind of said, Hey, look, we know the offense isn't there yet but the defense should show signs of life. You know, the defense should show that like, this is a legit squad that if we can get the offense there, we can be a legit playoff team. You know, you bring in Eberflus, who's a defensive coordinator, the last 12 games, they've lost 12 in a row going back to last season. And they've given up at least 20 in every single one of those games. They're the first team in NFL history to do that. Yeah. I mean, and that's to me, that's like, I know it's the NFL and, and like teams are going to score points. I get that. But to lose 12 in a row and to give up 20 points in 12 games in a row. Yeah. That's not a good sign. Yeah. I mean, okay. I will, I'm right there with you in, in the bears defense, that first game of the season, uh, they were horrible. Like, let's just, let's just put it flat out. They were horrible. Um, they, they were decent in the first half. They, I still, they still let guys run wide open too many times in the first half, but they bowed up when they needed to. In the second half, they just couldn't get off the field. Um, they just didn't play well enough. In this game against Tampa Bay, the time of possession was nearly thirty-six minutes to twenty, near just over twenty-four minutes. Yeah, the Bucks had the ball nearly the whole first half. Because right. outside of that first drive where the Bears go straight down the field and score, um, the Bears got nothing going, like just yeah. absolutely nothing. And that defense was gassed. And um, <clears throat> I was going to say about the defense, like one of, one of the people uh, – I'm going to save it for the bear down of my guy that I feel like is is down in stock, but – I thought the defense did as much as they could under the circumstances that they were put in this last weekend. I thought they played better. Um, the linebackers are obviously good. The concept, I think, is a, a, a thing they have to play as far as off coverage because their secondary is banged up pretty big time. Kyler Gordon is out. Uh, Stevenson is a, a rookie corner. Obviously, Jalen Johnson is is great um, on the other side. 
Uh, Jaquan Brisker missed portions of this game with an illness, and kudos to him for coming out and and trying to give it everything he's got um, because he was still coming out and laying the wood on people. Like that dude just like he's flying around um, he, and on a bad team. He's really fun to watch. You know, his motor, he's, it feels like he's in every single play. Um, and then Eddie Jackson got hurt. And I mean, that I'll be, probably worked out for the better. Right. I was going to say, I'll be truthful. I think this team is better when Eddie Jackson doesn't play because he doesn't look like he wants to tackle at all. And you look at the game against Green Bay, and it felt like every time they showed a replay of a guy wide, running wide open, you're like, oh, that was a miscommunication. And who is it? You see Eddie Jackson standing there in the middle of the field, and it's like he gets caught watching the quarterback way too many times, and the wide receiver just runs right past him, and he doesn't like – or the corner will um, hand him off, hand the wide receiver off to the safety, and Eddie just doesn't follow him. And, and, and he's just wide open and, and Eddie looks like he never wants to tackle, you know, yeah. Jaquan, as much as Jaquan Brisker looks like he wants to tackle Eddie Jackson is the exact opposite. Like he looks like he's out there. He looks like a guy who's playing without pads on. Like yeah. he's got no protection, like, and he doesn't want to get hurt, you know? Yeah. And Eddie has played like that every year since his good year. He right. had one incredible year. And every in last year he was decent, but pretty much every year since then, he's been horrible. And I, I think this team is going to end up being better without him on the field. Um, yeah. But obviously, I mean, this is a goat show, but we got to talk about the elephant. The elephant in the room is Justin Fields has been horrible. Yeah. And you got a stat line there. Yeah, so um, yesterday he was uh, he had 211 yards, one touchdown, two picks. Um, I think he had oh, – I just had it up. Hold on one second. Um, I think he had 35 rushing yards. You know, and the sad thing is that's a pretty junky stat line, and it wasn't even that bad. It wasn't even that good. Oh, no, he had, he had three rush yards. Yeah, so that's, that's a horrible stat line. And I can promise you it wasn't even as good as that bad stat line. It was worse. He yeah. he was missing guys left and right. And, you know, I the reason I was so high on fields, I'm an Ohio State fan, so I'm a bit of a homer. Um, and I was stoked out of my mind when my favorite NFL team drafted my favorite uh, favorite player from my favorite college team. I, I'm just a huge Justin fans believer. I wanted to be. And... They get DJ Moore, and it's like these first two games, he forgets he's on the field. Yeah. Like, they, he has I, – I was not able to watch the beginning of this game, so I unfortunately missed the best part of the game, and that was the Bears' first drive. Um, but I'm watching on my phone, like, trying to as – I'm, as I'm trying to get to where I can watch it, and uh, I see DJ Moore's got two catches for 64 yards, and I'm like – Praise God, we're actually throwing the ball to DJ Moore. What a concept. And then I think he finished with four catches. So DJ Moore finished six catches, 104 yards. Six catches, 104. So you give him two for 64 in the first first drive of the game. And so for the the rest of the game, he gets four catches for 40 yards. Yeah. And it's like, why? 
And I thought, well, maybe they're taking DJ away. And then they would show these plays of DJ Moore running his route with six yards of separation and Justin not throwing him the ball and DJ kind of just lifting his hands like, what are we doing here? And I'm thinking the same thing, DJ. Like, what are we doing here? And I want to get frustrated, and I am frustrated at Luke Getze. I, I don't know what he's doing. And... David, the linebacker for the, the Bucks, basically gave an interview after the game saying we knew exactly what they were going to run. Yeah. And and that last pick that Justin threw um, that ended up in the pick six, a horrible decision by Justin Fields, okay? Listen, there's no excuse for that throw. You got to be able to see the guy. I know you're backpedaling and there's a bunch of dudes running at you. But let's be real, okay? You go back and watch that clip, and if you haven't seen the, the article that was posted, it's it's pretty much going viral at this point. The Bears ran the same exact play from the exact same formation three straight times. They ran it on first down, and there was an offside. They tried to run the exact same play. There was an offside. Justin scrambled around and ended up throwing away, but ended up being an offside anyways. First and five, they run the play. Khalil Herbert catches the ball goes for a first down, like 12, 13 yards. It gets called back for the holding. Then they run the exact same play, and it ends up in a pick six. They ran the same play from the same formation three times, and you wonder, how did Shaq Barrett know it was going to happen? You didn't even try to disguise it. Yeah. It's just too predictable. And I ask myself, why are we throwing the ball sideways all the time? And then I see Justin miss guys running wide open down the seam. And I'm thinking, is this a Justin Fields problem? Because they have to throw these play. They have to throw sideways so that he just throws it to those guys right away. Or is this a Luke Getze problem where he just doesn't know how to call an offense away from Aaron Rodgers? Here's, here's the issue. You know, the fans, the coaches, the executives, everybody said, if we fix the O-line, then we can really determine where Justin Fields is at. We haven't had a good sample because the O-line has been so incredibly bad. You make some adjustments, and I know they're, they're still missing some guys on the, on the front line, got some guys out of position because of injuries. I get all that. But you make some trades, use your top 10 draft pick on a, on a lineman. They're still getting to the quarterback. They played decent yesterday, but they're still getting to the quarterback quickly. But even when he has time, Justin Fields' internal clock has been so jacked up for the last two years that he either waits way too long to overcompensate like how rushed he feels, or he gets out of the pocket and tries to make a play that's just not there. And he misses open guys. He doesn't go through his reads. He's been mm-hmm. he's been so misused as a quarterback that it's like he's damaged good at goods at this point. It looked like on Sunday, and again, I'm I love Justin Fields. I hate to criticize him because he I've been a huge Justin Fields fan, uh, but the your time, how much time you have to throw in the NFL, is different than in college a wide receiver being open in the nfl is different than a wide receiver being open in college you have to be able to tell the difference and if you can't tell the difference and you're waiting for a guy to be completely open 
not going to happen. You've missed, you've missed the window. And the problem is, I mean, in that play that's going viral right now, I believe it was Roshan running right down the middle of the field and Roshan's wide open. Yeah. And I mean, and you still don't throw the ball and it's because he's dropping his head. Like he'll, he'll, it looks like he's quickly going through his reads and it, and he's not even really like going through them. Yeah. It's just like, he's just moving his head. Like you don't really know what he's looking at. And then when last year the bears were successful, he would pull that ball down and then he would be aggressive on his running this year. It looks like he's told himself, I can't run. I have to throw. Right. And he's not even running well. Like they've coached whatever good he does out of him. And I think he needs to lean. If the bears are going to win any games, Justin's got to lean on his legs and maybe be an offense that throws 20 times a game. Yeah. You know, that's it. And try to get him to drop back and pass. It's just not who he is. I mean, and I don't know if you can change it. I really don't. I mean, they, they ran 51 plays to the bucks 68. Yeah. They only had 236 yards of offense. The bucks had 437. They had the same amount of drives Reese. They both had the ball 10 times. They both had the ball 10 times. And they run 17 more plays than you. And you wonder why the defense is gassed. Right. You know, you wonder why that, I mean, and the D line I thought played better. Um, They, than they did last week for sure. Obviously the Bucks rushing is not Aaron Jones. Right. You know, so, I mean, take that for what it is. But on 34 rushing attempts, you know, the Bucks were running for 3.5 a carry. The Bears were beating them 4.2 a carry, you know. So it's not like the Bucks were just running all over the Bears. The penalties were five for 28 yards. Felt like you had a couple bad penalties um, at the wrong time, but I don't think that killed them. No, it's, the it's Bucks still had manageable. Seven, right, the Bucks had seven penalties. You even blocked a kick in this game. You know, your special teams even played decent, um, and. I just think, bottom line, the offense is broke. And Justin, it pains me. me, It pains me, Reese. Let me ask you this. I got to say it. Yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you this. Before we move on, because we need to to move on to the next segment, but we're two games in. I didn't know it was this possible to be so deflated two games into the season after being semi-hopeful preseason but you know if obviously you know we still have uh 14 games left to decide but what do you right now like what do you think the bears should do well we have 15 games not that it matters because it's a 17 game schedule oh, now, yeah, but that's right. i mean if we don't make the decision in 14 games, we're, we're going to lose them all anyway. Probably, <laughs> we're going to probably missing the mark anyways. If you need, if you really need that extra game, you're probably making a bad choice. Yeah. Um, you just said it there, bro. I don't know if you could have been so deflated coming into a season where you felt hopeful. And I didn't think that the bears were going to win this division. Um, I didn't think that they were even going to be that good. I still felt like they would be, 
middle to bottom of the pack. Yeah. You know, like probably. It's sad that as like, Bears fans, that we still, consider that hopeful. Well, hopeful <laughs> in the sense of like just no, I know. progress. Yeah. You know, like I felt like the defense still needed, like there were definite holes on this team. Yeah. And in the NFL, when you have definite holes, you're going to get run over. Yeah. Like eventually those holes, those deficits are going to catch up to you. Right. I felt like the D line was never going to create enough pressure. And that's always going to hurt your, your, your corners and safeties. Eventually coverage will break down if you can't get to the quarterback. Right. And I felt like the O line was still really young and needed to get better. Um, and I didn't know if Eberflus, we still don't know if Eberflus is the guy to lead. So with all those, and you didn't know what Justin Fields was going to do. So with all those and like unknowns, it was like, we're probably getting a top 12 pick in the draft next year from the bears, you know? And if you got the 16th pick, you were like, cool. Like we play better than expected, you know? But I still didn't see the Bears being very good. I just saw it being like, hopefully, Justin proves to you that he's the guy. And you can go from there. Because, like, even the Jags, the first year that Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback, they weren't great. Right. But you you saw that he's the dude. Yeah. You know, like, he is the dude. And that's what I was hoping for for the Bears. Um, it kills me to say, Reese, but... You have to let Justin Fields play because, I mean, it, it'd be a miracle, but maybe he figures it out right. the rest of the season and you get bailed out. Like, that's the still the best case scenario. Right. I don't think it's time for the Bears to go uh, agent agent time and go to a D2 backup quarterback. Like, I don't think it's that time yet. I still think you have to know if Justin Fields is the guy and you can feel strongly whether he is or not after two games. And I feel like a lot of people feel like he's not the guy after two games. Right. But if you're the bears, you want to leave no doubt that he's not the guy. Yeah. So you, you got to play him. You, you got to play him. And maybe if this continues for the first eight, nine, 10 games, you're like, listen, dude, you're not like we've given you all the time in the world. And because as much as we want to blame the O-line, there were some plays that were just indefensible for Justin to make or unfortunately not make. Yeah. You, you, there were just fundamental problems with the way he was quarterbacking. And so I think, unfortunately for the Bears, they're in a position to where they have to let Justin play and just hope for the best. Yeah. And I think it's leaning to the point where if he continues this another, maybe even five, maybe all it takes is another four or five games. I don't know. Um, eventually, if Justin continues this, I think you will see Agent Bajent get onto the field. And um, best case, Justin figures it out. Second best case, if he doesn't figure it out, you suck bad enough to get the first pick and you can draft Caleb Williams. So um, I, I was just about to bring that up. There's a very good chance the Bears could have two in the top three picks next year. There's a chance, but you you have – this is a scenario that I can honestly see right now, which is hilarious, but I could see it where the, the Bears and the Cardinals both have two picks in the top five. Yeah. Which is nuts. 
because I don't think the Panthers are very good. Um, and the Bucks are clearly better than what we thought. And the Falcons are, are a decent team. And the Saints are obviously a decent team. The Panthers could lose every game in a division that I thought was going to be more open. So there's a greater chance the Panthers lose enough games to get a top one, two, three pick than I thought. Yeah. Um, if the second best case to Justin Fields figuring it out is the Bears and Panthers stink bad enough, you could somehow, in a miracle way, get Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. But you would need the first and second pick to do that. Right. There's a lot of things that have to break your way for that to happen. The Cardinals blowing that game to the Giants didn't help. And knowing the but, knowing the Bears would probably blow it anyway and trade away trade away both of those picks. Oh. So But that's the thing. That's the thing though. If you you know if you're the Bears, okay. You know you're gonna have high picks. We'll we'll just talk about this. We'll go into bear down here in a second. Last thing I'll say about this. If you're the Bears and you you know you're gonna have two high picks. The way it's looking right now is there's no way that the Bears don't have two picks in the top seven. Right. Like, honestly, that to me, that's worst-case scenario for their picks is they're going to have two in the top seven. Um, if that's the case and you're the Bears, you have to, at the end of this season, know whether you're sticking with Justin Fields or not. Like, that decision has to be made yeah. at the conclusion of the year. If it's not, and you go into this draft season, like it's not clear at all, and and it's not you you is Justin the guy or not? I don't know. You have to make the decision to move on from Justin. Yeah. If it's questionable, err on the side of caution and get rid of him. Which sucks for me to say, but that's the truth. If if he is not proven, I am the guy. Without a shadow of a doubt, you have to move on. Yeah. And I think the Bears would be smart to trade him. Because the last thing that you would want is another quarterback to come in and Justin be sitting there as the backup to another rookie quarterback. I just think that dynamic would not work. Right. I think the Bears would be better just to cut bait, kind of like what the the Niners did with Trey Lance. Just get a pick for him, move on, give him a fresh start. Let him go back somebody else up, and you move on completely. And if that guy is Caleb Williams, which that's that would be amazing, because Caleb Williams is that dude. He is that dude. Like he is that dude. Hey, if the um, if the Bears get that pick and they draft Drake May, which I could totally see them doing after the Trubisky pick, which I know it's different executives, dude. If but... we draft another guy from another white quarterback from North Carolina. <laughs> when that dude, I mean, Drake may, I think is better than Mr. Biscay. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But if we draft another, if we draft another North Carolina quarterback, when that dude is there, I'm. Yep. I'm, I'm a I'm, Bills fan. I'm done, bro. I'm a Bills fan. I'm done. I'm walking away. Yeah. I'm, I'm walking away. So having said all that, I knew that was probably going to take up the biggest chunk of our time right there. So having said that, excluding Justin Fields, we're going to get into bear down here. Who is the player, coach, or executive whose stock has dropped the lowest? Excluding Justin Fields. Yeah, obviously excluding Justin Fields because we know that would be everybody's, yeah. you know, He choice. is tanking. 
you know, I thought about this before the game started on Sunday, and I would have said Chase Claypool. Um, but Chase Claypool was not perfect on Sunday, but he did have three catches for 36 and a touchdown. I felt like he played much better, um, so I'm not going to knock him for playing better. He had a couple plays where he blocked really well. He also had a dumb penalty there at the end of the game on the first and five that put the Bears back. He had a pass interference because he started blocking too early. Um, so that was a stupid penalty. But I did think he played better. My guy for this might be a little bit of a surprise, but it's Allen Williams, defensive coordinator. Because that defense, with Matt Eberflus calling it, with Jaquan Brisker in and out of the lineup, with Eddie Jackson as a starting safety gone, with Kyler Gordon on IR, that defense played better with Matt Eberflus calling plays than it has ever looked with Allen Williams calling plays. At no point has that defense looked good, and I'm not saying that they even played great on Sunday, but the fact that they were on the field darn near two-thirds of the game and they only gave up 20 points on on to the offense because obviously there was a pick six to make that 27. And the secondary played relatively well with all of the injuries. And the one massive play that they gave up to Mike Evans was a clear offensive pass interference on Mike Evans. I mean, he pushed Stevenson to the ground before he caught the ball and ran for 60 yards, um, which, by the way, Mike Evans is slow. Very. If that was any other wide receiver, they would have scored a touchdown on that play. But I felt like that was a clear offensive pass interference that they did not call, which ended up being how the Bucks scored a touchdown. I mean, you take that play off the the board and they have to drive it down the field. I think the Bears defense played better last week without Allen Williams. And it was Matt Eberflus calling the plays. And Allen Williams didn't travel with the team because of personal things going on and obviously you hope everything is okay you don't know what that situation is um you kind of hope that personal problems is matt eberflus told him to stay home um and it's not like something really serious going on in your in his life obviously you don't hope that on anybody but the defense played better with the defensive minded head coach calling plays and running the defense it just looked more fluid yeah and I, I think if Allen Williams is not careful and the Bears come out next week and they play a struggling Chiefs offense that has not looked good through the first two games on offense, if they play that struggling Chiefs offense and they get run over, I think Allen Williams could end up being a guy that's scapegoated by the Bears right? and let, and let go middle of the season and Matt Eberflus just takes over. So... What about you, man? Who's your Who's your bear down? Who's Who's low on your stock? So I had Chase Claypool written down, and I actually scratched his name out because I, like you said, he hasn't played perfect. I still think he has a ton of flaws in his game that, for whatever reason, weren't quite as as noticeable when he was in Pittsburgh. And last season, for the half of the year that he was with us, we kind of just chalked it up to injuries and or he joined halfway through the season so we'll kind of just give him you know half a season credit and just you know right off the rest of the year he played decent so I'm not going to say him yet although I think he's 
he's kind of on the block to be in that spot. But for me, and you might you might not like my answer for this, but I'm gonna say Ryan Poles. Ryan Poles. That's a great answer. Ryan Poles has looked thus far as if he's in over his head. It's looked almost like he doesn't know the direction this team needs to go. Um, my other answer was Eberflus, um, just because I, I'm not questioning his ability as a defensive coordinator. He's a great defensive coordinator. I don't think he's a head coach, um, at least of this uh, of a team that's rebuilding in the state that the Bears are, if you want to say that they're rebuilding. But to me, Ryan Poles has just made a, several bad decisions that whether it was his fault or his own, they have just not worked out and they look really bad and they look very similar to the pace era. And it's like, man, we moved on from that, I thought, but we're still getting very reminiscent of that. And so to me, Ryan Poles, um, you know, his his lease is shortened. His leash is shortened, shortened up a little bit. So. I, I agree with you. I agree with there. And being a guy that is supposed to be offensive line minded and uh, the offense has struggled the entire time. He's, I mean, the year and two games that he's been here. Um, and obviously they made some changes and you thought Braxton Jones was a big hit last year. And Braxton Jones has not looked good yeah. over the first two games. Right. And uh, Darnell Wright has not looked great. He's had moments. Um, he's also had a, a couple tough D lines to go against. Um, and dude, Vita Vea, he's not playing. Vea. He's not playing his his natural position. Right, but Vita Vea, dude, he's an animal. That man is a, just an animal yeah. in the middle. Not that he ever went up against Darnell Wright, but that's a solid D line, man. Yeah. I mean, Vita Vea is incredible, and obviously Shaq Barrett, just Sack Barrett, just out here getting sacks all over the place. Um, but I think that's a perfect, uh, perfect, perfect guy to, to pick for that. His stock is down. I would agree with you. All right. So last thing we'll talk about with the bears and then we'll move on to the playoff pulse with the Cubs. We got the chiefs next week. What's your score prediction? 173 <laughs> to three bears. No. Um, <laughs> I just I think this is a get right game for the Chiefs um, their offense has looked very sluggish their wide receivers are hot garbage um, Kadarius Tony <laughs> obviously had a national debacle uh, week one um, my guy's out there running around with you know can't believe it's not butter on his hands um Obviously, though, Travis Kelsey getting back to full full strength and healthy. Um, I think this is just a get-right game for the Bears. I think Travis Kelsey might have 160 yards receiving and two or three touchdowns. Like The Bears don't seem – they play off coverage quite a bit, and I think that's because they have to with their D-line not getting home. They know that they have to be able to stick like and rally to the football. Right. Um, if they try to play tight coverage – there, there's going to be guys just running all over the place. Um, but I feel like this is a game where you can make the Chiefs offense look way better than it is. Um, and I don't think that 
the Bears offense through the first two games gives you any kind of hope that there's going to be any sort of fluid fluidity um, to score enough points to win. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really think that this is going to be a close game. Yeah. I would say, I mean, 31-13 minimum. And I don't know that it's ever going to feel close either. I could see the Chiefs getting the ball to start the game, go down, score a touchdown. Uh, the Bears not do anything. And then the Chiefs are up 14 before you even, you know, get in your seat and pull out the bag of chips. You know, right. like, I think it could it could get out of hand that quickly just because the Bears are not a good team. Yeah. No, I and agree. They don't make they don't make adjustments. So I, I think. I think it's less likely that they score, you know, 38 or more. I don't think they'll quite get to 40, um, mainly because it'll be 31 to three at halftime and they'll pull Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, it's not going to be good. That's all I know. All right. So we'll move quickly on to the next the next thing. And I know I know you're going to get a little bit fired up in this segment. Because we're going to talk talk about the Cubs' playoff pulse. And as you said pre-show, this should be the Cubs' playoff push. But instead, we're at the playoff yes. pulse. So give me give me some of your, your just initial thoughts over the last couple weeks. It, it's been a minute since we've talked about the Cubs. Obviously, it's been, you know, middle of the season since we were, you know, on the pod. Um, and this team looks a lot different. They made a run since then that we – weren't really expecting and then they have made a run in the opposite direction well i think the thing is okay i called this cubs run i i told everybody just kind of <coughs> excuse me i told everybody to just kind of keep it close if they could keep it close and then get to the all-star break after the all-star break, their schedule lightened up like crazy. And if they could just keep it together until then, they had potential to make a big run. Um, excuse me, I got a cough again. <clears throat> but, and they did that. Um, they made the run that they needed to make to, to be um, cautious buyers, which I completely agreed with. I didn't think they should sell the farm. Um, and I don't really think there was anybody out there worth selling the farm for um, in this particular trade deadline. Shohei. Um, well, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but look, kind of. look how that would have turned out. You know, True. I mean, uh, so I don't think that the Cubs were at the point where they should have traded for Shohei in the sense of like, he's going to be a free agent next year if you want him that bad don't give up the prospects to get him, you know, just give him whatever he wants financially. Yeah. And I think that he would, he could come, you know, especially if you made the playoffs. Um, I think what we've seen over these last couple of weeks, um, you know, we call this segment playoff pulse. And that's, that's because, you know, we need to check on some things that are, that might be dead. This offense dude is dead. Like, just dead. Uh, this team that was in the overall offensive numbers for the Cubs look good for the season. But these last couple weeks, really going all the way back to um, the tough series 
with the Brewers um, to end the month of August, really all of September. Um, go back to the end of the month of August when you're playing the Brewers and you don't really score a whole lot of runs, but that's kind of the Brewers' MO. They don't give up a lot of runs. They don't score a lot of runs. They play a lot of low-scoring games. Um, you were you were okay with that Brewers series because you got two out of three, and then you went to Cincinnati and you struggled to score runs against Cincinnati. You got a split there. Um, you were lucky to get out of Cincinnati with a split after they blew two close games in the ninth inning. And that was the beginning of trouble for the Cubs because Adbert finally looked, um, and unfortunately, I might have jinxed it. And Adbert, if you're listening, I apologize. I literally said the day before you blew that save that you were the man um, and and you had been dominating all season. I, st- I still think Adbert is the man. I think he had a great, he's had a great year. Um, but those guys have been overused, and you saw the weakness in the bullpen start to come out um, because, you know, a guy like Merriweather and Leiter and Alzali, who have been good all season, just looked tired, and they couldn't close out those games against the Reds, and you were like, okay, we're in trouble, um, but we're still okay. Like, our, our bullpen looks like it's struggling, but we're okay. Michael Fulmer goes on the I.L., you have that series with the Giants, and you're like, man, we just we just need to play well at home against the Giants. We just we got to play well. Justin Steele comes out, and I believe he gives you eight innings of great baseball. Like, just looks like a Cy Young out there, man, and just, just dominates the Giants. Hendricks comes out, gives you a good game. Jordan Wicks comes out, gives you a great game. You end up sweeping that series, and you're just like, dude, we're fine. We're good. Like, we, we won that series. We're good. And then it's literally been an absolute train wreck since the that series. Like, it's just been horrible. And the D-backs, you know, you get one out of four at home against the D-backs, which is just brutal. And you feel like you didn't play too terrible, but the offense, again, decided not to show up in that series. Um, and you had some tough pitching matchups. Obviously, Zach Gallon was great. Um, you can live with that. You can live with Merrill Kelly being great in a game. But then you went to Colorado, and you were like, okay, here we go. Like, this is exactly what this team needs after a tough series. Let's play Colorado. <laughs> and they were lucky to not get swept by the Rockies. Well, the ghost of Chris Bryant just went 20, what was the 2016 MVP season on us? They, 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 that first, yeah, that first game of the series, the Cubs were like making mistake after mistake after mistake on the base pass. Like, just guys getting thrown out left and right, getting caught stealing, uh, not scoring the extra run. You know, like they, how many times in that series did they get a guy on third with less than two outs and not get that run home? Striking out with guys in scoring position way too much. Like it's just been horrible. It feels like everywhere David Ross puts Chris Morrell in the lineup, he comes up in a bad spot and he strikes out swinging with a guy on third base. And it just stinks, man. And then you have, uh, you know, that series where you just, you felt like you should have got more out of it, obviously, because you went one and two against the stinking Rockies. 
and you're like, okay, now big time. Play up to the level of your competition. You're playing the D-backs. They're the team directly behind you. Let's get it. Like, let's go. Justin Steele's pitching against Fat, or however you say his name, Fat. you know. He's pitching against this this guy with a five-something ERA, you know, and you're like, okay, here we go. And then Justin comes out and lays his first egg of the season, you know. Like, that's just the way it's going for the Cubs right now when the guy who's been literally the most consistent player on your team comes out and lays an egg. And it's like, man, at the wrong time, you know. Yeah. Next night, Hendricks comes out. It wasn't horrible. wasn't great. It just, your offense didn't do anything. Yeah. Last night, uh, Sunday night's game, Hap leads off the game with a double. Horner gets him to third. Chris Morrell comes up. You got a chance. Just hit the ball. The infield's not playing in because it's the first inning of a baseball game. All you got to do is make contact, and that run scores. Morrell strikes out swinging. Bellinger strikes out, look, strikes out looking. I don't know. This team has got to lead the league in, in case looking. I mean, it is horrendous how much they strike out looking at the baseball. And Cody Bellinger has cooled way down. Sayo was hot there for a while. He's not been bad, but he's, I mean, they're just not hitting the baseball right now. And you hope they're, they're, t- they're tied for the playoffs right now. You hope that bringing in a team like the Pirates this weekend, a team that you, I believe they are 9-1 and one against this season, Maybe that gives them the confidence. Maybe because they're at home against the Pirates and Rockies, this team can rattle off six in a row. But there's nothing that gives you that level of confidence that says, yeah, we can do that. Yeah. And to finish the season, you got a series against the Braves, which the Braves have not been playing well, but they've also been resting people since they clinched. The only hope is the Braves don't play all their players against you because they've already clinched home field advantage, so maybe you can sneak out two wins against the Braves. Maybe they're trying to move their rotation around to set it up for the playoffs. I don't know. Maybe catch a break with that. And the Brewers will definitely clinch before the last series of the season. So maybe that helps the Cubs if the Brewers decide to rest their players because their offense stinks anyways if they take away anybody. But you can't win unless you score runs. So... That's it's dead, man. The offense is dead, and it's a faint. the 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 playoffs, it's not over, but it feels like it's a faint pulse right now. Yeah, like it's there. You can feel that it's there, but it's not looking good. You know, it just feels like things could go the wrong direction. Continue to go the wrong direction very quickly. Yeah. So. Let me ask you this. When did the Cubs go on the run? When did that really start? Uh, to me, it started like end of June. Close to like end of June. Close to post-All-Star break. Uh, yeah, like a little bit before. A little bit before, All-Star but break. yeah. But definitely, definitely after that All-Star break, they, they had yeah. a struggling series against the Red Sox, and then they just went on a run So against the Cardinals, White Sox Cardinals. The reason I ask that is that's when they made the trade for Candyman, Candelario. 
Well, Candelario wasn't there until the Cubs decided to buy at the end of July. So they had they went on the run that made them buyers, and then they played better when Candelario got there because he was hitting out of his mind. And that's another thing. Candelario being on the IL has not helped. So that's that's where I was going was you take a guy who and, and granted, I just looked up his stats. He he isn't he wasn't playing as good as I thought he was, but he he was playing, you know, solid ball. But you take him out of the lineup and you put Patrick Wisdom in, who if you take out the first 15 games of the season, his ERA has got to be close to 120, 130. Batting average. Batting average, yeah. The the problem is, yeah, he'd probably have a better ERA than he does a batting average. <laughs> yeah, his his batting average is abysmal. It is horrendous. Not that Candelario's MVP candidate, anything like that. But if you take last out, last I checked, it was like last I checked, his 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 BA was somewhere like one ninety eight, one ninety five. Right, and that's after that's the first 15 to 20 games of the season, he had like nine home runs. He was first, right. like 20 games. Like he was just on an absolute heater. And then, yeah. And then ever since then, like him and Hap have kind of just disappeared. You know, and I, I will say this. Okay. I think Jay, he's not listening now. Probably he might listen to this. I'm sorry. David Ross is horrible. You were right. You tried to tell me. I just wanted to give him the season. I didn't necessarily think that he was the best. I just I wanted to give him the year. I think he's been horrendous. He's been bad. I, I think he has stretches where he's good. Um, And then I think he has stuff that he falls in love with, and it's like, I don't understand. I, I don't understand Christopher Murrell batting leadoff. I just never will. He strikes out way too much to bat leadoff. Um, just don't get it. I don't understand why you stick with Ian Happ batting third when he's not playing well and say a Suzuki who's on a heater bats seventh. Like it just, it doesn't make sense to me how he constructs a lineup every single day. Um, and then that hurts and how he's overused the bullpen. Maybe that's all he, that's how he had to do it. Like the Cubs expended so much energy trying to get back into it. And every game was a must win. So they kept using their leverage guys and they just got overused and tired. And now they don't have enough in the tank to finish the year. Um, but Ian Happ has been horrible, like just not good. And what's been even worse is you can live with a down year offensively because most guys, I mean, except for the greats, most guys have years where they don't hit for as high of average because Ian Happ has still been getting on base with his walk rate. Like, he still walks a ton. Um, But his, <coughs> his defense has been horrible. Like, just horrible. And you saw that cost the Cubs in the series against the Rockies where a ball that's on the warning track, he just doesn't catch. Yeah. He just doesn't catch it. And it's the same week that Pete Crow Armstrong's out here making every catch, and and Happer can't catch a ball that should be caught 100 times in a row. Very next batter, two-run shot, and Tyone's pitching. So it was 3-3. Three to three. You get out of the inning tied, and he doesn't. Tyone gives up a two-run homer, and the, and the Rockies never looked back. So, but I do think that Ian Happ should be the leadoff batter. 
I know the offense has not been clicking, but I actually like that from David Ross. If it's not going to be Mike Talkman, and you, for whatever reason, refuse to put Nico Horner up there. Okay, that's what I was going to say. It should be it should be in half because he walks enough. You know what I'm saying? Like he gets on base enough to where he makes sense as a leadoff guy. He sees enough pitches. He hits for a decent average. He's got some pop, so maybe he could put you up one right away. But he gets on base enough to be a leadoff batter. But what were you going to say about Nico? I was going to say it's got to be Nico. Nico has been the one consistent on this team. Even Bellinger, who I love Belly. I think if the Cubs don't sign him to a five- to eight-year deal after this season, they've lost their minds. But Nico has been the one consistent. Bellinger's been out with, you know, he had a couple injuries. He had the, um, he was on paternity leave for a little bit. Nico has consistently hit 280 all year long. He hasn't had major slumps or major highs. He just hits 280. And when guys like Dansby and uh, Seiya Suzuki and uh, Morell has been either totally on or just like looking like he doesn't belong in the MLB, Nico has been the one thing. And if you start with a guy on base, and, and I, I get what you're saying with Ian Happ, his on-base per- percentage is the best on the team. Uh, right up there with Talkman. So it's got to be one of those two guys. But Nico's right behind him on OBP. And so to me, it's it's got to be Nico because the dude puts the bat on the ball every time he's up to bat. He just hits. Yeah. I mean, I love Nico. I think he's great. I do think our middle of the infield is the best in all of baseball. Um, Nico and Dansby both will probably win, hopefully win gold gloves. That would be incredible. Um, I think Belly might win the utility gold glove since he's played first and center. Yeah. Um, so I think those things are awesome. Um, I'm, I'm happy that Seiya has had, had a, a bounce back second half of the season. You know, I think that the Cubs, you know, you hope that they play well enough to get into the playoffs just because I think that would be big for morale. Even if they don't do anything in the playoffs, I mean, I think if you get into the wild card, you have a team to, a team that you could beat. You know, because the best team that you could play is the Brewers, and I just think there's something about division opponents that could just go any way. You know, it doesn't matter how good or bad the teams are. When you play a division a rival, especially the Cubs and and Brewers, it feels like anything can happen in that series. Um. I just want them to make the playoffs just so they know they can do it. Yeah. Yep. You know, like, and to avoid the collapse, even if they don't do anything in the playoffs, just making it, I think would be huge for this team. Um, They got, they got six games. They got six games against bad teams. And then they got um, the Braves and Brewers, which hopefully they're resting guys. Yeah. If if the Cubs can go seven and five, they maybe make it. I think if they only win six, they're probably not. So yeah, they got they got Pittsburgh coming up uh, starting tomorrow, and then they got Colorado second series this week. You know, two weeks ago we were saying you got to win two out of three the rest of the year, just to kind of solidify yourself. And then you lose to the Rockies, and you're like, 
okay, two out of three should still get us there. And then you get swept by the Diamondbacks who are right behind you. And now you're third and wild card. You have to sweep one of these series this week. If you can go, if the Cubs can go five and one in these next six games, I like their chances. Yeah. Because like I said, I think they can, is if they can go five and one and then finish those last six games, even three and three, like get one against the Braves, try to get two against the Brewers who are resting players because you just never know. They're not going to be at full strength. Yeah. Um, that would give the Cubs eight wins. Yeah. But there's nothing like, and if they finish eight and four, I think they're in. The Marlins schedule is really tough. The Giants have to play the Dodgers like seven more times. You know, so other teams have other tough parts of their schedule. The Giants and D backs both, they play each other for two games. The D backs end the year against the Astros, who are in the middle of a race for their own division. So they're probably not going to be resting people, hopefully. Um, the red schedule is relatively easy, but they play the Cardinals a few times, which the Cardinals always seem to own the red. So we might be Cardinals fans for a little bit, which would be unfortunate, but you know, it is what it is. So, yep. All right, man. Can we, can we please talk about something other than the Cubs? Cause it just hurts. Last thing it's, I'll say, it just feels like there's been nothing positive about the Cubs. Well, then I'll, I'll give you one more negative. After oh, the great. after the Reds win tonight, we are now tied with the Reds for the third spot in the yeah. wild card. Yeah, and I think we've played two less games than the Reds, though. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think we're I think we're ahead of them, and like we have one less loss than them. Correct. We have one less win and one less loss. Yeah. So if you, <laughs> you know, if you can win those two games, you yeah, you're you got a lead on them, but. It's all yeah. minuscule at this point. I mean, you got to bottom line. I think the Cubs need to go eight and four. Yeah. Yep. If you go eight and four, I think you're in. If you if you go seven and five, you're maybe in. If you go six and six, you're not in. Anything else than that, you're not in. So. Yep. All right. These last two segments are going to be real quick. We don't. We're not looking for you know deep analysis. <laughs> this is just give me your top three for your good goat, your bad goat, and your scapegoat. And again, that's, that's you know, your guy that's kind of under the radar. Don't pick, like, the obvious pick. And then the the guy or the team that's kind of underperformed. And then give me your guy that you feel like is catching some flack that, that doesn't deserve it. So who's your, who's your good goat? All right, so let's do this. Like, I'll say my good goat, and then you say your good goat. And then we'll just kind of, like, bounce back and forth. That way you can kind of keep it, kind of keep it the same. My good goat is a former Buckeye, the man that got drafted by the Houston Texans this last year in the draft, rookie quarterback, C.J. Stroud. My man did what Justin Fields has failed to do his entire NFL career, and that's throw for over 300 yards in just his second game on a horrible team. And he threw not for 300 yards, but for 384 yards. 384 yards. With two touchdowns, no picks. He threw the ball 47 times. Could you imagine Justin Fields throwing the ball 47 times? Justin Fields can't imagine I, Justin Fields throwing the ball Justin, 47 times. <laughs> Justin Fields can't mentally throw the ball 47 times. I mean, and 
it's just incredible. I mean, the wide receivers that he's throwing to, Nico Collins, you, he could have been the good goat here. Seven for 146 and a touchdown. I mean, C.J. Stroud, I hope he breaks the Ohio State bad quarterback curse because through two games, he has looked. He's looked the part. And, I mean, he had a tough go against the, the Ravens, but he still threw for 242 yards against the Ravens, which is still more than what Justin Fields usually throws for. Yep. And he threw 44 times in that game as well. So he's 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 played really stinking well, and I'm really happy for him because he had a tough go at Ohio State, didn't get it done when it mattered most, but he's balling out now. Who's your good goat? My good goat, and I didn't know about him until yesterday, and I'm going to butcher his name. Puka Nakua. Puka. Puka Nakua is currently ranked number two at wide receiver in fantasy points. Um, he has 25 receptions for 266 yards through two games. He's a guy that nobody knew about headed into the season. Um, since last week, he is plus 70% on fantasy teams picking him up. which means nobody knew about him two weeks ago. Right. And and now he's the number two wide receiver in fantasy points. I know that that can be skewed, but for a guy like that to have 25 receptions and 266 yards through two games is just about unheard of. And, you know, I, I hope he he has a just an unbelievable season, like Cooper Cup had a couple years ago where nobody knew who Cooper Cup was. And then – yeah, you wonder explodes. the only thing with that, you wonder if uh if that will change when Cup comes back. Okay, don't don't bring logic into this. This is my good goat story no, no, of the week. I, dude, I yeah, that's I hundred percent <laughs> with you. I wonder, but 15, 15 catches, my man, like that's incredible numbers. Obviously he's got skill. You don't catch the ball fifteen times in a single NFL game unless you're you're a good wide receiver. I mean, we saw that with Kadarius Tony. He should have had 15 catches the first week of the season. Said he had 73 drops. Um, that math works out. Don't try it. Um, but I mean, hopefully, hopefully the the Rams for the Rams' sake, they found another guy that can run. If you're wondering, he was the round five number 177th pick in the draft this year. In the draft, nice, nice man. I I feel like wide receivers, you can hit on those guys late in the draft. Yeah, you know, you really can. All right, who is so, who is your your bad goat? My bad goat. It might surprise some of y'all because they're playing so well and they're the hype of college football right now. But my bad goat is the Colorado Buffs, my biggest loser of the week. And the reason why they're the biggest loser of the week is not because of how they played. It's not because Deion Sanders is not good because I think he is a solid head coach. But the biggest reason I picked the Buffs is because they lose Travis Hunter for at least the next few weeks. And the biggest problem with that is not only is he their best offensive player, he's their best defensive player. So that hurts them on both sides of the football. And that really, really stinks whenever their schedule is about to pick up with games against Oregon and USC. think that that completely puts a nail in the coffin of what the Buffs could have done this year. I don't yeah. think they're pulling off the upset against Oregon this week. I'm interested to see how they do 
against a, a better team, but they clearly struggled without Travis Hunter on the field, which makes sense. Like it totally makes sense that, and maybe they make adjustments with the, a full week of practice without him. You know, it's yeah. always, I think it's always easier to prepare, like to know you're not going to have a player than for him, the whole offense to be built around him and then him not be there. But well, let's that be is real. why. The biggest loser when it comes to Travis Hunter is America because we were about to have two insane games this coming week. Absolutely. And and next week. And so America's it really just, gonna lose out. It just hurts, man. Because that was I mean, and we'll I'll say this real quick, and I know you feel strongly about this as well. That was the most dirty, unnecessary thing oh. I, I've seen in quite a in quite a while in a That was almost my bad goat pick. And in, in a live play, because like there it was completely unnecessary. And I'm all for Dude, I'm all for like being physical, especially in a rivalry game and like getting in an extra shot at the quarterback and that kind of stuff. But dude, it looked like there was intent to do harm. Yeah. Like, and that's not cool. I'm I'm yeah. all for being extra physical, but it literally looked like he was set out to hurt him there. And yeah. and that just really stinks. And it it puts a black eye on what was a really, really fun game to watch. Yeah. And I don't know if it would have been as fun if Travis Hunter was on the field because I think Colorado would have played better. But still, my biggest loser is the Buffs because they're without their best player on offense and defense with the tough schedule coming up. So that's unfortunate. And as karma would have it, that DB got absolutely toasted on the last last play of the game for that big, big pass down the field. So... My my bad goat has got to be Illinois football. Yikes. Because you go into the season thinking, okay, last year we made a bowl game. We snuck in. This year you're looking to get to seven, eight, maybe sneak in nine wins because they have an easy schedule. They have looked pathetic. Just atrocious at every level. They look horrible. Defense, which has been their thing for the last however long um, um, uh, Brett Bielema has been there, you know, last year. And I know they lost a lot of DBs. I know this is his third season, right? Yeah, third year. I know you lost your whole secondary in the mm -hmm. draft last year, basically. I get that. But your defense is Johnny Newton is a top defensive lineman in the country. Yeah, but he's the only guy getting to the quarterback. He is. But your, your defense is so bad, and that's that's been the one thing that you're supposed to have. Luke Altmaier, no, we didn't really totally know about him. Transfer from Ole Miss, sophomore. He has looked horrendous. Their play calling has been bad. Their wide receivers have been bad. Their run game has been atrocious. From top to bottom, this season is already a train wreck, and I feel like we're back at the Bears talk. So we're going to move on. <laughs> Right to our scapegoat. Who is the guy that you feel like is, is catching some flack but doesn't really deserve it? I'm like every hip-hop artist in the world. I'm going to Boulder again, and I'm going to say Jay Norvell is my scapegoat. And I will say this because I unfairly criticized the man. I think it was still dumb to talk about Dion in the in the lead up to that game, because you know, with all eyes on Colorado, that that was going to be blown way out of proportion. And it yep. certainly was, but I will say this Colorado state came to play 
And they Jay did. Norvell had his boys ready. And I, with a lot of other people, did not anticipate that game being close. Because, I mean, I think it was closer because, of tra- like I said, Travis Hunter not being in obviously hurt the buffs. But Colorado State came to play. They made a game out of that. And they did not back down to the hype. There was a whole lot of people that were surrounding that game. Like I said, every it seemed like every music artist was there. Uh, all of Dion's boys were there. And uh, there were some NBA stars that were there. I mean, there was people from all over the place coming to watch that game. And Colorado State showed up and made it a game. Yeah. And for that, man, applaud Jay Norvell. To get your boys ready for that game. Uh, to not get embarrassed on national TV. Uh, we are talking there for a while. What happens if Colorado State wins this game is Dion got to show up to the press conference without his hat and sunglasses. Uh, but obviously that didn't happen. So we didn't get to see that outcome. But Jay Norvell, I don't know if Colorado State's going to win another game all year. I don't even really care. Um, I don't, I'm don't. i probably never going to watch another Colorado State game. But my man had his boys ready to play in a really, really big game. And because of that, all the flack that he got earlier in the week, you got to applaud the effort of Colorado State to come in in that setting and do something. So Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned it to you, but they they looked like the better coach team. No, that's not a, a slam on Dion or anything like that. They just looked like they came. They knew their stuff. They all had their assignments. You know, they, they knew what they had to do. And I know, you know, throughout the years, I, I was doing a little research, but that, that rivalry has been real heated. Anytime one of them is in, you know, top 25 or anything like that, usually the unranked team wins. So for Colorado to come in with all the hype they've got going, all of the, you know, you know, they made it personal, all that stuff. And for Colorado State to, to still come out and play more physical than Colorado did, um, Overall, they just looked like a better team. Ultimately, it came down to talent, and that Colorado just has the better talent. Dude, and Horton, 16 yeah. catches for 133 and a, and a tutty. And there was at least three or four plays where he put a dude on skates. Yep. Like, he looks like the dude at wide receiver. Yeah. And, you know, we may be hyping up Colorado too much because they've won some games and Dion's there and everybody's just drinking the Kool-Aid. But they, they, they may actually not be very good at all because we really don't know how good TCU is. But still, right. they're winning games, you know. And we're going to – you wish we would find out this weekend in the next couple weeks with a tougher schedule. But without Travis Hunter, it's kind of unfair. Um, But, dude, there's a couple – plays by Horton in that game where I'm just like, my man, yeah. stop it. Like, stop it. That man has a family. Like, don't there was one play he pointed at the guy. And I was he like, you, you just gained like six yards. That's all he did was like gain six yards. But he just like he turned around and laughed at the guy pointed at him. I'm like, dude, and that's not taunting. I don't know what is, but that was I'm here a, for it. That was a dog move, man. Put a D I'm on that man's it. chest. You know? Because <laughs> dude he was at, in a game that was super exciting to watch. He was the most fun to watch, in my opinion. Yeah. My my scapegoat is going to be Justin Herbert, just because 
the Chargers have not looked good, but Justin Herbert has been solid. And, you know, everybody's expecting him to be Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes level. You know, he's he's in his, I think it's his fourth season now. So he's had time to adjust. He's had time to kind of develop and, you know, make those mistakes when you're young. But he's played well. The The Chargers just haven't. And so, you know, I think I think he's going to have a solid year. Um, I I'm kind of hoping the Chargers have a good year. I'm a low key Chargers fan. Yeah, I, I hope they're 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 good. But um, I, like, I like Austin Eckler. He's won me some fantasy championships. So. Yeah. And I love Kale, Keenan Allen. Yeah, they've, they've got some players on that team. All right. Last last topic. Sports this week. Eye on the ball. Who you got? The eye on the ball. Unfortunately, I won't be able to watch this game live. Um, I have a previous uh, obligation that I have to be at. But the thing that I am most excited to come home and watch after that uh, previous engagement is my Ohio State Buckeyes in the biggest game of the weekend taking on Notre Dame at Notre Dame. I am super excited to see what this offense can do in a big game against a good team, a top 10 team, obviously Ohio state got the better end of, of Notre Dame last year. Um, in a game where Ohio state didn't really play well, Notre Dame is better this year. Hartman is a better quarterback than Notre Dame's had in a long time. And I, I'm just excited to see the Buckeyes. I was really, really nervous about this game. I'm still a little nervous. I was really nervous about this game before this last weekend. Um, when Ohio State finally picked a starting quarterback and stuck with um, Kyle McCord, and Kyle McCord played phenomenal. Trevion Henderson played phenomenal. The defense played phenomenal. Marvin Harrison Jr. looked like Marvin Harrison Jr. And um, Ohio State finally looked like Ohio State should, and they won 63-10. to So I am looking forward to this game against Notre Dame. I think it's a perfect tester for where Ohio State is um post cj stroud um and i think that it'll be a great matchup uh for two teams that seem to be kind of under the radar right now uh because ever since texas beat alabama i think they've been overhyped because i don't think alabama's that good um and texas jumped up the rankings you know i i just don't think i mean a team that struggles against us uh usf um, and that's the quality one that the, that the Longhorns have. I just don't think that's that impressive, uh, but it's still Alabama. I get it. You know, Georgia struggled. Michigan hasn't looked great. USC is obviously USC, but I think Ohio State at six, Notre Dame at nine, two really good teams that have kind of flown under the radar so, so far. If one team comes out and makes a big statement, in this game and wins by a couple of touchdowns, which I don't see happening. I see this being a really close game, but if Ohio state were to be able to do that or Notre Dame were, were to be able to do that, I think that will skyrocket where they are in the rankings um, and finally give them, finally give them a chance to, to jump over some of those teams that are ahead of them that haven't really looked that great. Yeah. What about you, man? Where is My... your eye on this weekend? My game to watch this weekend, we talked a lot about them already, has got to be the Buffs and the Ducks. Um, I really like Oregon this year. They 
I think they could be a legit squad. And we don't really know about Colorado other than the fact that they're exciting. That's I about think, all we know. What do you think is going to happen in this game? Like, seriously. Like, if you had to guess. I think I think what Colorado can do to a team that's that we know is legit like Oregon is they can keep it close just because of everything that comes with the Dion train comes with being on this, this team this year. I think it just raises the tensions and it will either be a, you know, another 35 to 38 game, or it'll be a 45 to seven game and the ducks just blow them out. And we find out that, you know, maybe the buffs are a little bit too reliant on Travis Hunter and they're not as legit as we thought. Yeah. So ESPN analytics matchup predictor, what would you guess that would be without looking? I think I saw earlier today, I think the the buffs are, what was it? 21 and a half point underdogs. Uh, The line. Let me see the line. They had them as major underdogs. I 20, know that. Oregon is a 21-point favorite. Yeah. Yeah, so... Well, so, so I, I... See, I just think... So, Oregon is... ESPN Analytics gives them a 93.9% chance to win this game. Yeah. I just think, especially without Travis Hunter, Oregon is just a class above. And I think Dion said it, you know, last week when they asked him about national championship contention, he said, you know, we're still eight guys away. I think his his exact words were, we're about eight dogs away, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but still the same thing. You know, I think Dion realizes that they're not there yet. Yeah. Um, But I think this will be the game where we realize like the net, the nation realizes they're not there yet. Like, right. Dion sees it. I don't think Dion's an idiot. I think he's a good coach. I think there's a lot of teams in college football that are regretting not hiring Dion simply because of the money that he's bringing in because he's Dion. But I think this game gets ugly. Yeah. I think Oregon just trounces Colorado. Yeah. And I, which I don't want it to. I hope it's close because I don't like Oregon. Never have liked Oregon. I think they're good. Like, I respect Oregon, but I don't like Oregon. Bo Nix. He's that dude. Bo Nix. Bo Picks. <laughs> All Bo right, picks. man. Well, Bo Picks, throw picks. This was the Gold to Goat podcast. After a long hiatus, we, we, uh, got, we, made, up, we made up for some lost time tonight. Had a lot to cover. Had a lot to get into. We're excited to be back. And we will be back next week with hopefully a more encouraging Cubs update and a probably more depressing Bears update. Oh, Lord. we, Dude, I'm telling you, if the Bears play this bad all season, we're going to stop talking about them. We will. Can we just make that, that deal? Like, Absolutely. At least with the Blackhawks, we get to talk about Connor Bedard. Yep. Which we need to hit on because we haven't got a chance to talk to you all about that. But still, if the Bears play this bad for the whole season, this is going to be miserable, bro. I've already started like in the middle of the window on Sunday as the Bears were losing to the Bucks and looking terrible and Justin Fields was showing that he was not the dude. I started looking at other games and I'm like, 
man, if the Cardinals can hold on against the Giants, that's awesome because that puts them ahead of like later in the draft. It's a second game. Like I'm not even through the <laughs> second game, man. And I'm like, man, that's that would be a huge win for the Bears draft pick. Like that stinks, bro. That We're stinks. I could We're Chicago go, fans. I could go off for another hour. I'm not going to. You all got families and we'll maybe, we'll, we'll save maybe, you. Well, maybe from, hopefully we'll save you from Jordan's depressive rants. And we'll we'll just Bears. go ahead and also warn you guys. I will not be here next week. Jay, Jay will hopefully be on next oh, week Lord. with Reese. And we just want to go ahead and warn you guys. If you want to talk about Brock Purdy, listen to the next episode. If you don't want to hear about Brock Purdy, probably don't listen to the next episode. Because Jay is going to have a field day. No pun intended. Just, he will have a field day. He will have a field day with Brock Purdy. Loves he, Brock Purdy. He has completely left the Bears and gone full 49ers. Brock Purdy hype trade all by himself he's he's driving the train (laughs) he is driving the hype train i would join just about any other train than the bears train because all the other trains are going forward we're going backwards so yeah well and we're a train wreck so we (laughs) might we might die on this train all right anyways we gotta go love you all right thank you for listening subscribe like all those things check us out share it yeah Cool we'll see you next week on the Gold to Go podcast.